Hi everyone, welcome to episode 43 of an Inside View podcast with On The Ball Team Building. If you're listening to this on St. Patrick's Day, happy St. Patrick's Day to you and yours and I hope you are celebrating it in the best way possible. If this is your first time listening to Inside View podcast, please do tell your friends, family, whoever may know about it and also please do give it a, a rate and review as well. We'd really appreciate it. Big shout out to our sponsors, GRG Sports and Vintry Harbour Asset Management for the continued support over the last couple of months. Uh, we really appreciate it, guys, and thank you very much again. It's now time to bring on this week's guest, and I'm delighted to be joined by Tom Egan. In 2009, Egan created history when he became the first ever Irishman to fight in the UFC. Egan set precedent for future generations of Irish UFC fighters. Both Tom and Conor McGregor started their MMA career together and have numerous of stories of their early days. Egan was part of McGregor's camp during his fight in Boston 2015 and was also part of McGregor's coaching staff during the Ultimate Fighter series. Fast forward 10 years from Egan's UFC debut, he's now living in Boston. A proud Irishman and Gweglor, he is training future generations of fighters in the city. There's no doubt we've huge amount to cover, so let's bring him on. Hi Tom, welcome to the Inside View podcast. How are, how are you keeping over in Boston at the moment? Yeah, everything's great in Boston here. You know, things are slowly getting back to normal. Thanks first of all for having me on. Delighted to be on here chatting with you. And the, the St. Patrick's Day special, I'm going to be, be launching this on, on Petty's Day, so... Oh, yeah. That's why, that's why I wore my mutton chops for this one, you know, <laughs> the mutton chops and the hat for St. Patty's Day, you know? <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. And um, just, I actually saw your story there at the weekend. Uh, you were celebrating St. Patrick's Day. Um, unfortunately, we, we can't do that here, but how was it over in, in Boston? Yeah, so uh, March 1st, uh, they allowed restaurants to open up 100% capacity. Uh, now, still, obviously, with the social distancing and some of the guidelines in place, but uh, nonetheless, they they allowed the opening of it um, of a lot of the restaurants and businesses. So, yeah, when I heard that, I was like, oh, yeah, St. Patrick's Day this year, because this time last year was right when they locked everything down. So uh, when I caught wind of that, I was like, yeah, I'm getting myself a nice big leprechaun hat and green stuff, and I'm going all out, fuck it. And now I got the mutton chops for tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and what's what's the plan for for tomorrow? Is there anything going on over there? Uh, well, there's nothing really going on, but it's pretty lively out here. Like you know, I can show you behind me. There's cars driving. The roads are busy. You know, people are out in restaurants. They're enjoying themselves. People are just slowly but surely, you know, fed up and willing to just get back going. You know, like you know, um, I mean, I'm you know, it's like anywhere else. People are just willing to just get back going and. Uh, so now that things are opening back up here, um, you know, people are starting to feel good about it. And in terms of like big plans, like regarding the city, there's no real big plans for the city. Um, you know, tomorrow for St. Patrick's Day, usually they have a parade the Sunday before or the Sunday after, depending on which day it falls here in Boston. You know, in Ireland, we just do it all in the one day. But in Boston, it's either like if it's on a Wednesday, they might even do the St. Patrick's Day parade on the Sunday in South Boston. And then people still kind of have a smaller celebration on the actual day itself. But um, but this year, no, nothing's going on. But myself, I'm going to work tomorrow and I'm going to go do a bit of shooting. And then I'm going to uh, uh, go to a nice Irish bar downtown. Mr. Dooley's, they call it, in downtown Boston. So Beautiful spot. I was there last time I was over. I, we, we met yeah. the, the troopers in there. Right in the center, yeah. right in the center of, of Boston, in the business district. Yeah. Yeah, right downtown, yeah, in the financial district, yeah, um, near the Hilton and, and, you know, near a couple of other places down there. Uh, 
So it's nice, nice little bar. So I get myself a nice uh, uh, Irish stew and a pint of Guinness. And it's a Wednesday now, so I can't go too mad because I try to go, I try to eat good and, and, and be good during the week. But I, I got it all in at the weekend anyways, luckily. Good, jeez. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people have been in awe of you, you know, and, and jealous the fact you can have a, a creamy pint because that <laughs> that's something a lot of us haven't had for a long time. Oh, stop, man. It's... Yeah, I, I can only imagine. A lot of people, I've seen some people installing their own Guinness taps in their houses. Mm-hmm. A lot of people which are, is a yeah. good idea. Which is a good idea. I don't know what deliveries are like there. If you can get all the parts delivered to your house. Yeah, you probably um, would. Yeah, I think I think if I if I got that, I'd swell up. <laughs> I think <laughs> I'd put that yeah, well, there's the, health, there's the health reasons too. It's, it's you know, it's... You know, having the option of having a creamy pint is great, but at the same time, if it's in your house, you'll be having them for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could have a, a negative effect. Um, I suppose, look, we'll just delve into the, the younger days and, and how you ended up in Boston. You know, we'll, we'll bring it up to the, to the current day. Um, you you grew up in Lucan and you moved to Newbridge. So which I know Lucan and Newbridge, Lucan and Kildare are more or less on the, you know, Lucan's on the Kildare water. Mm-hmm. Would you classify yourself as, as a dub or a, a lily white? Honestly, God, I let them fight over me. <laughs> I let the dubs and the Kildare people fight over me. And, you know, so, uh, no, but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I would always say that I grew up in Dublin just because even though I lived in uh, lived in Lucan, and that's next to Kildare, we still had a ton of Dublin people from inner city, from Clondalkin, Crumlin, you know, uh, uh, Tala, um, you know, we had a ton of people from all over the place that would come out and live in Lucan. So it became almost like a, a branch of the inner city. And then, um, but then I would spend a lot of my time, you know, going to school. Well, I went to school in Lucan, uh, which kind of was closer towards the city side of Lucan. And then obviously when I started training and doing a lot more with uh, with SBG and John Cavett, I, I, I was spending a lot of time in town, down, you know, in the city and stuff like that. So I would class myself as a dub. And then when my family moved out to Kildare, you know, obviously, I love Kildare. I'd, I'd rather be in Kildare. Whenever I go home to Ireland, I, I, I mean, I only ever go to Dublin if I'm bringing guests home. Like, like when my girlfriend came back uh, to Ireland with me, I brought her up to Dublin to, you know, have the crack and go out. And, you know, luckily, we were there before lockdown. It was 2019, 2018. We had 2018 and 2019. So I, I, I'd skip out to Dublin for a bit just to show her around. But the more I go back, the less I'm really impressed with Dublin. It's getting more and more like, I don't know. I don't mean this in a bad way. It, it doesn't feel as Irish anymore. A lot of foreigners, which is a great thing. You know, it's a very metropolitan city. But I love if I'm going to bring somebody back to Ireland, you know, being out in Kildare, out in the countryside, you know, that's what that's what I like to do a lot now when I'm at home. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I, I actually lived in Dublin before lockdown and it's obviously great. But God, it's, it's expensive. Jesus, it's gone very expensive now up there. Yeah, it's expensive. It's changing a lot of stuff. So, I mean, it is what it is. A lot of cities are like that. They go through, I mean, cities kind of end up always all going through the same stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, whether I class myself as a dub or a Kildare man, I say I grew up in Dublin and my family lives in Kildare. That's that's what I say. <laughs> and and did you, you know, as a young fellow, um, I believe you came from athletic and um, um, athletic enough background that your parents would have been athletic. Your, your mother did a lot of karate and your father did, you know, played sport at a high level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my dad played a lot of rugby uh, in in school. Um, and then he, he obviously played a lot of soccer. He was a big soccer head. I mean, my dad grew up in Tottenham in, in oh, London. 
uh, up until he was about 10, 10 or 11. And uh, so growing up on the street there, you know, playing football a lot there and then coming back to Ireland and getting involved in rugby. And then, of course, he was a great golfer, still is a great golfer. Um, and, um, you know, he and my dad was like a jack of all trades when it came to sports. He could do he could do a lot of stuff and he was very good at it as well. He had a lot of a lot of, lot of very good opportunities for soccer for the underage, uh, you know, under 18s and stuff like that. Um, and then, yeah, my mother, my mother's kind of the opposite. My mother's the martial artist. She, she, she grew up on Shotokan karate and, um, you know, she got all the way up to black belt in that. And, and that's kind of right when she stopped because when she got to that, that stage, her and my father had met and, and, you know, and they, they've been seeing each other. And then obviously, you know, I came not too long after. <laughs> so, so, but her karate days didn't, didn't go too far after she got to that level. But, um, but yeah, she used to compete all the time, and and Shotokan karate is a is a brutal form of competition. I mean, they don't allow they don't. It's bare knuckle. It's bare knuckle. No no shin pads, no feet pads. You have a mouthpiece, and your hands are wrapped pretty much. Um, but they they there's no punching uh to the head, and the reason why they do that is because they they want to encourage kicking. They want to encourage karate because obviously if you had a karate competition, and the rules that were allowing hands, you'd have just guys coming in and wanting to just throw hands mm-hmm. rather than using, using the art in which they're practicing, which is a lot of the kicking stuff, you know, uh, obviously everything above the belt, they didn't do leg kicks like in Muay Thai. So and there's, there's different variations and, uh, and, um, uh, and like hybrid competitions. Now you'll see in karate, but particularly traditional Shotokan karate, you'll see them bare knuckle, no feet pads, no nothing maybe a cup and a mouthpiece and it's like hard body shots if they're there, but like you're kicking, your axe kicking, your head kicking, your hook kicking, side kicking. Like it's like pretty, and, and you're going for it, like going for knockouts and stuff. It's pretty brutal. She did that. Like Jeez. she's tough. Wow. Jeez. And did, did, did you go down that routine or was it as a, as a young fella in your, you know, growing up in your teens, did you play different sports and then obviously filter down into karate and in MMA? Was that the way it happened? Well, yeah. So growing up, you know, I obviously went about my dad's route first, um, you know, as a kid playing soccer, golf, and, you know, all these different games. And for whatever reason, I never really got into the, into the, into, um, into the Irish games, like football and hurling. Like I, I picked them up a little bit in school, but for whatever reason, never really got into them. I, I like, I really enjoyed soccer. Thought soccer was a great game. I grew up watching it because my dad, see my my dad growing up in England, you know when, when we came, my dad was was a pretty good guy player as well. My granddad was a, was a very good guy player. Played play for Round Towers club team there um, in Kildare, I believe. And uh, you know my granddad was a lot more into the guy, but my dad growing up in England and coming home with that, like he, he always kind of had his love for soccer and rugby and some of the English sports. But I never really, I never really took to soccer rugby or even the gar or anything like that it was it for whatever reason i just always really enjoyed like you know i was into me bruce lee's and you know mortal Kombat and all that kind of stuff like the video games and whatnot and um so yeah ultimately my mom let my dad kind of be the dad and be like all right he did all your sports and he, and he, he hates them so now i'm gonna throw him into into some karate you know so um where we were in luke and down the street in leakslip uh, there's a gym run by a man named Roy Baker. I still consider Roy, you know, to be, you know, one of the, you know, the absolute foundations of my martial arts uh, career. 
um, not just like from a from a martial arts standpoint, but from like you know a young man growing up as a young man having a guy like that very, you know, very disciplined. He was a world champion, you know, kickboxer and karate uh, player, and um, or sport karate as they call it over here. And um, so growing up with that discipline through him is is shaped me a lot as a young man. But um, yeah, so my mother brought me over there. And then that was it. Got into karate, and then that kind of led me down the martial arts route. Now you know, pretty much went from there. That's uh, that, that's amazing. Yeah, it's it's um, and like, was it around? Like, how did you cross paths with with Conor McGregor? Dean, was it around that that time in your life? You just kind of both your worlds kind of came together, and you pursued MMA. So, I got into right around that time. I was about eleven or twelve. When my mother got me into the into the uh, kickboxing or the or the karate, and um, and so I stayed at that, and I just gotten into secondary school or, or high school as they would call it here, um, and yeah, I started off with that, kept that going, and I was on and off, and I started to get a little bit more serious about it at 13, 14. And uh, and then when I was 15, I was in, I want to say it was either fourth year or fifth year. I think it was fifth year in, in school. Yeah, it was like 15 or 16. Uh, Connor had uh, moved, he had moved, his family had moved from Crumlin out to Lucan. See what I meant by all the inner city folks coming out to Lucan? I said that earlier on. Yeah, so they had moved from Crumlin back out to Lucan. And, uh, and then, yeah, he ended up in my school. This little lad, this little knacker heading them in the classroom <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but for whatever reason he was like he was sitting there all you know that 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 you know real um what's the word uh like a real um paranoid heading them like he was just sitting there like that big mug on him <laughs> and uh yeah i was the only person in the classroom on the first day he went up to him and said what's up man my name's tom da, da, da. and then and then as i said in, in other interviews before then i got stuck with him and he wouldn't leave me alone he was like oh and then, and then somebody had told him that I did kickboxing and karate. And he was like, oh, yeah, I really want to get into that. And so then I used to throw him around a little bit on the grass outside. <laughs> and, uh, but one thing I, I was attracted to Connor was he, he had this like, uh, like no bullshit attitude towards certain things, maybe a little bit in a bad way. You know, he definitely he was definitely rough around the edges back then. Um, but he still kind of had this attitude that I kind of was, it drew, it, that kind of drew me to him. And then obviously my kind of, discipline and, and, and wanting to get better at martial arts is what drew him to me and then we could that's you know so we kind of fed off each other a little bit back then a moment happened as well back then um and obviously had, I, i'd be a big advocate that you know in teen, your teenage years are very vulnerable and very important you know in your development and something happened back then i suppose that kind of drew you closer and was it on a bus or something like that Oh, 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 uh, oh, there's, there's a bunch of those little stories that happen between <laughs> me and I, like there's so many, you know, uh, the big, yeah, there was just so many little things that happened between he and I. Yeah. So one time, oh yeah, I think you mentioned that there's a, there was a story there one time where uh, I was on the bus with my younger brother and this girl uh, who was in my class at the time, I had, a, I had a big crush on her at the time, this girl and um, we're getting the bus home. And yeah, these absolute, I mean, you know the term, these absolute scumbags were getting yeah. off the bus, young lads. And you could tell they were up to no good. And they were like, uh, like just staring me down. And I was just sitting at the front of the bus with my brother. And uh, and so I kind of, you know, I kind of said, yeah, what's up? Like, you know, what's up? 
And uh, one of them was like, what do you mean? What's up? You know, you know, and the next thing you know, it's like this back and forth thing. And in my mind going, um, you should have just kept your mouth shut. You're on a bus here with your brother, your younger brother, this girl. And you got these three lads now in your face. Anyways, they go, they go to get off the bus. And right before they get off the bus, I was like, oh, thank God that's over. And one of them came right around the corner and fucking buried me right in the face. And, uh, and my nose started bleeding. And then like, oh, man, I was so embarrassed. I was so embarrassed. I'm like, what the fuck? So then the ne- I go to school the next day. And of course, that fucking girl that told everybody, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> she told everybody, uh, Tom got his fucking face punched in. And I'm like, what? I got suckered on the way out. right? I got my fuck. I got sucker punched. Jesus Christ. Made it sound like I got my head punched in. So then Connor, God bless him, was like fucking heartbroken for me because, you know, you know what that's like as a young man in Ireland. Like mm. you get punched in the face and everyone knows about it. All of a sudden you're like a fucking, it's like people look at you like an injured gazelle in the wild or something like that, you know? So Connor was like, let's fuck, let's get them. Let's find those fuckers. Let's go get them. And I was like, all right, yeah, 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 yeah let's go. <laughs> so we were driving around after school, like for weeks afterwards, trying to see if I could like, find these guys never happened but um yeah it was like it was like less than a month after that incident you know our whole school we went to like a went on like a like a field trip as they called them over here went to the movies uh to watch one of these uh, educational movies uh in town there and while i was in town while we were there me and connor were like light sparring like while we were waiting in line and the teacher was like you stop it stop it and we were like you know light sparring and i bumped into some lad some big huge polish lad and he fucking just grabbed me he just grabbed me by my neck. Jeez. And I'm in school clothes. So think about this Polish guy walking up, grabbing a student in their in their uniform. Grabs me by the neck. And I just took a step back and buried him with a, with a big right hand. And uh, oh, he was out cold. <laughs> and what the great thing was the whole, like, fifth, the, the, the sixth class and the fifth, oh, sorry, sixth year and fifth year, which anybody watching from America, the seniors and the juniors, we're all there, everybody. And they saw me bury this lad. And uh, and then, uh, yeah, Connor jumped over, the, got in the guy's face. So you just got knocked the fuck out, you know, like in that movie Friday. <laughs> yeah. And uh, friggin', and Connor comes over to me, he goes, Tom, start dancing on his head. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, dude, he's out, he's out, relax. And then the teachers like called the security guards over and they got your man. And I think they ended up arresting him or they kicked him out or something. I forget what happened. But, um, yeah, I, I'd always love, I wish I, I was out, I always wished I went back and I got the video footage of that thing because that was a beautiful right hand. It was like, it was like butter the way I hit him. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, yeah, he just killed over. And then, so then I went back to school the next day <laughs> feeling good because I had knocked out this guy and I kind of redeemed myself. It was a nice re- re- redemption story, you know? That's brilliant. That's brilliant. And it's just obviously, damn, that Polish guy wasn't a student or, or any affiliation to the school. He was just a passerby, was he? He was a passerby. You know, in town, in like, in like, uh, I think it was, is it Jarvis Street? Is that? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Jarvis, there's a movie theater there, isn't there? What, what sure. am I, what's Abbey, is it? Abbey Theater. We've been there. Um, no, I think it's, it's wasn't there a movie theater in the Jarvis Street shopping center or something? No. Oh yeah, it probably is. Yeah, Jarvis Street. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. So it's right in town, and um, yeah, this guy was just a passerby. You know how it is, like in those areas where you know one, you know, if if you're okay, if you're in town and you're trying to cut from one street to another, or, or you're trying to, you know, but you'll cut you'll cut through the block, but just going through the 
the, the, the shopping center or the movie theater or whatever. One entrance was on one street and the other entrance was on the other street. So I think he was just coming from wherever he was going in one entrance and then he was just going to cut through to the next entrance. Um, and that's when me and Connor were, were kind of sparring <laughs> and I bumped into him. So rather than just, uh, yeah, like you would think to a, a little student, like a young student like that, he yeah. just dropped his bag and grabbed me by the neck. And then I just took a step back and just boom, I, I was beautiful. But anyways, yeah. Yeah, that guy was just a passerby. Jeez, and would, would, like, would you, you know, in those early days, because look, obviously, like a lot of people do um, combat sport now, but back then, it probably wouldn't been as big as it is now. Um, the only combat sport probably in Ireland would have been boxing. That would have been, you know, well-known. Would a lot of people be throwing comments at you, um, you know, when you were doing, when you went down the route of, of MMA at the start? Sorry, would, would people have been what? Yeah, like, would you have been getting comments thrown at you when you were focusing on MMA at the start? Oh, in the oh early you, days? Mean, you mean, like, from, like, if I'm on a night out or something? Yeah, like, oh, what are you doing that for? You'll, you know, you'll make no career out of that. Do you know? Oh, well, well, no, because in my age group, my age group at the time, it just meant you're a hardy cunt. Excuse my language. Yeah, you're crap. Right? It, it, it just meant the, it just, am I allowed to swear on this thing? Yeah, work with it. No other talk. But, 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 uh, yeah, at least my age group at the time, it was like, oh, yeah, you're a hardy cunt if you're doing that stuff, you know? So, uh, and then my age group was like, go on, yeah, you mad thing, that's deadly. But then maybe, yeah, maybe my parents at one, my, my parents certainly didn't want me getting into like, into a cage with a grown man for crying. I mean, first few guys that I fought, I was like, I was 18. And boys that I was fighting like in the 20s and stuff like that. So, um, like they, that certainly wasn't, what they were looking for me to do, but they knew that I was passionate about it, so they let me do it. Um, but you know, regarding like normal, regular people, like you know, who, who was in my in you know in the town, because I was living at Newbridge at the time when I was you know when I was getting professional and stuff like that. So yeah, no, I never really had any, any negativity um, thrown my way. It, it also helped that I was winning all my fights and that I had you know uh, my good friend Tommy Lakes at the time was videoing it all. So you know, I was trying to promote it a little bit, throwing it up on my Bebo at the time. <laughs> uh, Jesus. Fucking Bebo. Bebo actually was deadly. It was unreal. Uh, Some platform, your, your top friends, top 10 friends and all that. <laughs> yeah, and you could do, you do your background. I used to love, honestly, God, my favorite was MySpace. So, because you could have a theme song. So when someone clicked, clicked onto your profile, you had your own song going. You had, uh, you know, you had all your own graphics in the background. That was deadly. Yeah, those are the days. I never really had any bad, like any negative things thrown at me. Um, you know, may, maybe my grandparents were like, oh, you don't want to be doing that. You know what I mean? But uh, but I have to say, like, I'm very, very lucky, very, very blessed. All in all, my family and a lot of my friends were, were very supportive. Um, they were very supportive of the whole thing. Yeah. Was there like... Was it ever in your head to go to go to college or, or even go and, um, you know, do an apprenticeship or something like that? Or was it always you wanted to go down the, the route of mixed martial arts? Yeah, so I wasn't I wasn't the best in school. Like I was like an average like in school. I just I didn't enjoy it. I didn't it, look in hindsight. If I could do it all over again, I would have put my head down and get it done. You know, because I'm, I'm, I'm grown now, I'm more mature now. But at the time I was like. I wasn't really good at it because I wasn't um, I wasn't focusing it. So my goal in school was just to pass. That's all I wanted to do. 
my 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 goal when I was in, and I, and I would never um tell anybody like I, I there's a lot of young lads in our gym here in Boston uh, 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 well I'm in I'm in Quincy right now which is the next town over there's a lot of a lot of a lot of young lads I meet and I always tell them to you know you know get your shit together you know do well in school keep your parents happy that's the number one and then you'll get all your opportunities and you know whatever after that um. I'm actually, honest to God, over here now these days with with the prices of education obviously climbing up and up and up. I um, I always encourage some of the younger generation over here to join the military, jump into them, like especially with young lads. I, two young lads in the gym there, they're 18, they just got out of school. I'm like, here, boys, if you join the Marines, do your four years, you'll travel the whole world, be skilled, you know, uh, uh, you'll get a lot of experience, you'll see see the whole place, and then when you get out in four years, you're only 22, and they'll pay for your college. You know what I mean? They pay, they pay for your college. They'll also help you with a down payment for a house. You know, like so. If I if I could have done it all over again, honest to God, I would have come to America, and then I would have I would have joined the Marines or something like that, and then and then gone away because I encourage like I would do that if I had kids here in America, and you know it's natural uh, supply and demand. You know, and uh, you know. People from all over the world come to America to get educated, you know, especially here in Boston. You have Harvard, Northeastern, BU. You've got all these big, big colleges here, MIT. And they can just keep rising their prices and people will still keep paying it. And once once the government steps in, starts subsidizing things and, and, then, and, then, and then student loans, fucking colleges are just laughing. They're just raising their prices every time. So when the demand's there for it, they can keep doing it. So what I would do is with my kids, and I at least encourage younger people here in America to do is... Um, Get out of high school, join the military, go get, go do something physical, like, like learn, get a bit of grit about you, you know, like travel the world, get good experience, uh, you know, people skills, you know, they'll teach you to be on time, get up. And if you're a military person, at least here in America, you're a lot more likely to get hired for jobs because they know they can count on you to be there. They know that you're hard worker, that you're good in team, team environments. Um, you know, so a lot of the te- that, that they teach it, but, um, but when I got out of school in Ireland, Again, I was so focused on MMA. So me and Connor at the time, because, you know, we were training a lot. Our main goal was just work a bunch of odd jobs, get fighting and see where it takes us. All I, all I wanted to do was be, uh, you know, I didn't want to be, I wanted to be less of a burden on my parents than I already was. And um, I just be able to do something that I love doing. And I'm very fortunate that I had their blessing and their support to be able to do all that. But yeah, when I got out of school, I knew that, I had no idea what I wanted to do academically. Um, so I figured rather than wasting my time and and my parents' uh, time and, and all our money, I was like, I, I could just get a job, give this martial arts thing a go that I was so passionate about in that moment and see where it took me. And then within a year and a half, less than two years, I was fighting the UFC, which is bizarre. That's like that's amazing, Mike. And just on on that point, we say it was UFC ninety three. Do you want to kind of yeah. give us an insight how that happened? You know how that opportunity came to fruition or came to the fore. Yeah. Um. Well, I'm only quoting John Cavan in his book here. He, you know, he went so far as saying that I was I was the guy for the job at the time. Um. You know, it was definitely the best in my weight division in Ireland and and I had the most amount of coverage behind me because like I said I have my friend Tommy Lakes who I credit to going to all the events with me taking photographs videos and he was great at editing these little things and I was throwing them on my social media maybe YouTube so by the time the UFC came to Ireland and they were looking at records and who you fought and and how you were winning I'm sure I I 
I think before the UFC, they put me down as four and zero, but I had I had six fights and they were all stoppages. I'd stopped every one of them, mm-hmm. so they're like, when they you know UFC, that's what they look at with your record and stuff. They'll be like, all right, uh, like if, if you've got six wins, six decisions, they're not gonna they're not gonna give it a go. Local guy, no, we want we want we they'd rather. They'd rather a guy that's three and three, but three knockouts and three crazy fights. You know what I mean? Like they want, you got to look at it on their end. You know, it makes sense. Their benefit is to give you the, give the audience the exciting fighter, you know? So if a guy's going to go out there and fight and go for it, that's what they want. So I happened to be that guy at the time. And, uh, and, you know, again, credit to John Cavan as well. You know, he, he, um, he used his contacts uh, and um, yeah, we got it done. What was that? experience like i was watching the watching videos of it like like you know obviously now you know you're looking at you can look at youtube you can see clips but back then you were you know you were making the route for 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 the generations to come you know you were channeling out yourself can you can you give us an insight what the the norms are like the feeling and, and all that yeah, it was it was it was so surreal. I mean, like they they put us on the press conference. It was the first time in UFC history as well that a, a preliminary fight was part of the press conference, um, which is another cool little history thing uh, that I managed to get. <laughs> but um, but like I'm sitting there, and it's like me and John Hathaway on either side at the end, and then in between you've got like Marcus Davis, Chris Lytle, uh, you have uh. Who did you have? You had Stogun and um, and Mark um, Mark Coleman, and then you had fucking Dan Henderson and Rich Franklin. Jesus, like, and I'm sitting there going, I started this a less less than two years ago, and I'm sitting here with these legends that I watched, and um, yeah, it's fucking bizarre. Uh, like, like, yeah, the, I mean, at the time I was just thinking, right, this is just another fight get in there get it done you know um yeah i mean i just you know it was it's probably the one fight in my career where i turned around and said yeah look just that guy was just way better than me on the night and there's nothing i could have nothing i could have done about it you know it was just you know john had to be at the time he was more experienced and he was kind of a little bit further ahead in, in the kind of the evolutionary scale of, of the game you know um and yeah just learned an awful lot and Similar to what happened recently, I don't know if you saw the UFC went through a whole string of cuts. Like they were cut like mad amounts of guys all over, like Junior DeSantos, Alistair Overeem, oh, yeah. like uh, Yoel Romero, like all these big names. On top of that, a slew of of, of smaller name guys in in their in their you know all, they went through all the rankings and cut them. And they do that every now and again. You know they'll 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 sign guys, sign guys, sign guys, and then they'll go to a cut, sign, 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 go to a cut. And uh, and they did that at the time after I lost to John Hathaway. And, um, yeah, I just didn't make the cut at the time. But I was after that fight, I was like, right, after feeling that kind of pressure that I got from Hathaway, I was like, right, that's why I came over to Boston. That's what led me over here. Because after I lost that night, I'm sitting in the back with John Cavanaugh and uh, Marcus Davis had just won. And him and uh, Mark Delagrati, who I still talk to and stay in touch with these guys like you know i have to like these are guys that like influence my life so i always make sure i stay in touch with them but they um they uh they were sitting out back and and um and you know marcus davis he's a great guy and he was just like so passionate uh, but you know he was like uh, you know you you can get back in there you can beat that guy again da, 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 da. and i'm like yeah yeah and 
you know, my head's ringing at the time. It just ate like five el- unanswered elbows to the back of the head. <laughs> so I'm like, we're sitting there and, um, yeah, Mark, Mark Delagrade just goes, why don't you, um, I love Mark Delagrade. He's like, why don't you take your money and, uh, come on with a fucking Boston? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah. I looked at John Cavanaugh. I'm like, what do you think? And he goes, yeah, yeah, screw it. And at the time, Mark Delagrade was like, you know, big time, um, you know, big profile coach still is, still is got a lot of ton of. He's he's more focused on the local scene now, which is cool. But um, yeah, and the next thing you know, I just took the money that I got from the UFC, came out to Boston, um, and uh, yeah, you know, just, uh, I, w- I went back to. I, sorry, I went to Boston first, then I went to Las Vegas from Boston because I went I went out to Las Vegas to meet um, uh, Wayne McCullough. Wayne McCullough is like an absolute legend legend he walked me down to the ring so he um he he invited me out and i was out with him training in his garage and and uh and then i was training at randy couture's met a ton of guys out there um i mean i'm like here's another trippy one for you i'm in las vegas in eight in in march april of 2009 and i'm and i'm fucking my main the main like my main sparring partner is phil baroni jesus you know what phil baroni is I, I heard the name right. Yeah. The, the, the New York badass, the New York badass, they called him. Like, you gotta look him up, man. Phil Baroni's an absolute legend. Then I was sparring with Mac Danzig, who had won the Ultimate Fighter. Forrest Griffin was there. Tyson Griffin was there at the time. Junie Brownie was just that that crazy blonde lad on the Ultimate Fighter. He was there. Uh, it was such a trippy time. And then, um, yeah, and then I came back to Ireland. And then the end of two thousand nine. The end of 2000. No, I'm sorry. So summer 2009, I got back and I took a, I took a fight out in Newcastle. I was like, co-main event in this show at Newcastle. And I fucking lost by a guillotine, man. I just had this sloppy shot and I lost by a guillotine. And I was like, and then I was really fucked up after that. And then, so that kind of made me was like, you know what? I need to change the scenery. Mm-hmm. And so the people who, and nothing against Kavanaugh or, or my family or my friends or anything like that. I just at the time was going through those natural growing pains just wanting to kind of, you know, get out and see the world, do different things. So I, uh, I, yeah, the people that I had met here, the likes of Peter Welch, who became one of my closest friends. I worked with him for five years. Um, excuse me. One of my good friends, Frank Delaney, who he reached out to me and said, look, man, if you want to come out to Boston, you can stay with me for as long as you need to get your feet on the, get your feet on the ground and, 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 uh, or sorry, to, to, to get on your feet and get going. And I was like, sound. And I hit him up then that this, that November or December of twenty uh, of two thousand nine, I was like Frank, I want to come out to Boston, and he was like, "Yep, bed's ready. Let me know when you want to come out." And I was like, "All right." And to this day, like I owe that man so much for letting me come out here. And then while I was out here, then you know, I obviously had to do a bunch of going back and forth. Uh, you know, I always wanted to. I never wanted to overstay my visa because I never wanted to limit my opportunity here in America, and I and I always wanted to be able to go back home to see my family. So what I did was I, I had to go back and forth a couple of times. I ended up hiring an attorney and, you know, I was trying to navigate my way through getting the um, uh, like uh, athlete visas, like a P1 visa. And, uh, and this, this kind of went on for a good year and some change. Like I was going back and forth, applying for visas, doing all that. And I was very, you know, I was like o- trying to organize fights. I was kind of half coaching myself, managing myself, you know, I was doing all this stuff. And I was juggling so many balls at the time that I was dating a girl at the time. We, and, and during this whole process of like maybe like a year and some change where I've been doing all this back and forth, visas, whatever. 
she turned around to me and just goes, here, let's just get married. And then this, you don't have to do that anymore. And I was like, I was very stubborn about it at the time. I was like, no, no, I was like, I'm doing it this way. And I want to do it like this. And da, da, da. And then I sat down my, with my, uh, my attorney at the time, my immigration attorney. And he just goes, he goes, oh, he goes, wait, so you're, you're going through all this hassle and you're trying to do all this visa stuff. And he goes, your missus said that she would, uh, that she's cool with getting married with you. And I said, yeah. And he goes, are you living with her? I said, yeah. And he goes, you're an idiot. And I was just like, what? He goes, he goes, do you see yourself staying with her? And like, we were like, like I said, when you're dating somebody over a year and you're living with them and you're spending a lot of time and you're traveling, like you, that, that's like a, like you're, you're with somebody. Like, and I was like, yeah, yeah. I mean, like we were, we've been doing everything together at the time. And, and he was like, well, look, he goes, have a think about it. Because he said, if, if you're dating somebody and you're doing all this stuff, because I can't tell you how many times I've seen guys be stubborn, refuse to marry their girl or that they were dating Irish lads going back and forth on visas or doing whatever they were doing, work visas or whatever. And then they end up marrying that girl anyways. And then they could have just saved all that time. So I had a thought about it. And yeah, so the next thing you know, we were out in Vegas getting married. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my fucking, this photographer at the wedding looked like Wolverine, man. I'll never forget him. He looked like Wolverine. He was all dressed up. And I was like, geez, this is mad. But yeah, we ended up being together there for like three and a half. Uh, but three and a half years then and then unfortunately obviously we, we you know we broke up and it didn't work out but um but i mean you know it, it's funny like i have another friend of mine who um came over from poland and i was um, I, I felt this this was good for me because i felt like i was able to give back in a way she came over from poland looking to uh be an be an architect and uh so she was studying here in boston she had to go back home to poland to renew a student visa but she couldn't come back over or one of the things was she needed a um, she needed a, uh, a an internship in a, an architectural firm in order to be able to stay here and study here, and uh, sure enough, one of my clients is like one of the top top guys in Boston for like architecture and engineering, and I mm -hmm. said to him, "Here, you know, can we get this girl an internship?" So we sat sat her down and had had a meeting with him, and the next thing you know, he got her a meeting. Uh, or an interview with like one of the top architectural firms in the in the city of Boston, and when they went through her portfolio, they said, "Never mind the internship." They said, "We'll hire you, and you can use this as an internship." So she was getting paid. They took care of her immigration, um, and then like a year went by, and similar to me, she had been dating this guy. And like a year and some change went by, and then they fucking got married there like last year. Wow, Jesus! So you just you just you don't know what life's gonna throw at you, you know, but. I feel like people, and, and I'm not, you know, I know a lot of people and everyone's got a different story. Everyone's got a different story. And I'm not trying to judge anybody or, or you know, about what, what way they came here or what way they do, they do things. I'm only giving my perspective. That's all I'm doing right here. I'm not trying to, you know, I would never want to judge anybody on, on anything that they went to or, 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 or say that any, any way I did things better than anybody else. I'm not trying to say that. But all I'm saying is that at least from my perspective, from my point of view, when, when I look at my situation and that, that one girl, I'm like, you know, you know, she was going back and forth trying to do all the stuff. And, and then next thing you know, you don't know what life throws at you. So um, so that's pretty much the story behind how it came here. I kind of I probably I probably jumped through a bunch of your questions. Uh, no, you're right. <laughs> you're all right. It's uh, one thing actually just um, before we, we, we keep going uh, at the weekend there, I saw that you met. Um, a guy you fought against before, was it? Yeah, Chip Pollard. Amazing, man. How you cross paths with these guys again? 
well, so, well, Chip and I have been friends. Like, like oh, that was just that was just a post. It, it's so funny. So, so yeah, we fought. And like, Chip's like a multiple time Muay Thai world champion. Like, I encourage anybody that's in this podcast to research him. Chip the surgeon Pollard. Like, he's like he's better than like. Uh, I guess somebody was saying, or he was telling me that W the WBO or um, or the WBC has like a like a kickboxing ranking thing, and he's better than all of them. Like he's he's the top guy at his weight in the world right now. And uh, so when I went to fight him, I like straight up kickboxed him, <laughs> idiot. So it actually ended up being a great fight. And like both of us like look back on that fight and they're like, man, I fucking learned so much. And then I'm like, yeah, me too. Da da da. But no, Chip and I. Chip and I started really uh, uh, kicking in and hanging out. Like uh, two years ago, we 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 uh, we we always we know each other through the circle. We have the same training partners and stuff, you know. Um, but we never we never got the opportunity to kind of you know hang out and train and stuff. So um, it was like two years ago, two three years ago. Um, uh, we 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 bumped into each other after a UFC fight. And next thing you know, we we're having a few drinks and party, and then we both looked at each other and we we're like. Man, we're actually kind of fucking. This is kind of good crack the two of us, and we're like, yeah. So, next thing you know, every every random time, every now and again, you know, Chip, we like because he lives. I live. I'm obviously in Boston. He's down on the Cape, in, in Cape Cod. So he'll hit me up if he's ever in Boston. He's like, Tom, what are you up to? You know, and I'm like, yeah, let's come too. But I mean, it's always it's always for a few pints, isn't it? We're talking about two two super talented guys only drinking together. <laughs> but um. <laughs> But yeah, no, sorry. I was just gonna say, like, no, Chip, Chip's like the real deal. Like, he's, he's like, like he's as good as they come when it comes to kickboxing. Like, I encourage anybody to look him up and follow him. Like, he's unbelievable. Um, but yeah, so it's so funny. Sunday, I was I was dying of a hangover, but I I had scheduled to go shooting, so I went to go I went to go do me a bit of shooting, and uh, I'm leaving the range, and I get a phone call from from Chip, and he's like, "Man, I'm in um I'm in Weymouth, which is like the next town over here from Quincy." And uh, I'm like, oh, geez, I'm, I'm, I'm on my way. Like, I'm going through Weymouth right now. I was like, oh. he goes, dude, he goes, you know, it's this day. Fucking 2014 is when we fought, which doesn't even feel that long. Ago. It feels like it was sooner than that. And I'm like, what? And he goes, yeah, it's our fight versus. So I said, I ah, hear fuck this St. Paddy's Day weekend. And actually, I usually always hit him up uh, anyways, like anytime I'm doing any Irish stuff, because it's mad. He's mad for the old. He loves like going into an Irish pub with just fucking Irish folk music. Uh, can you see me? Oh, yeah. See you now, yeah. yeah perfect. He, uh, he loves going to an Irish pub with Irish folk music and having pints. Like, for a lad who's like, he's Native American and and he's he's part black and obviously, you know, I think part white as well, but, you know, he's mostly Native American culture and uh, a guy like that, just a savage Muay Thai kickboxer from America, like, loves an Irish bar. So... <laughs> It's so funny that he hit me up because I was thinking about him anyways. I was just so hungover. I forgot about it. And then it turns out that we went and had a few pints then on our on our anniversary, which is cool. That's 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 and do before going on any further, um over those we say since over those couple of years since you've been in Boston, um you had the chance to obviously corner uh Connor for his fight in Boston and you're waiting for the ultimate fighter. Um how was how were those uh experiences, you know? Must have been great looking back to geez, about 10, 10 or twelve years ago. We would have been, you know, having the crack in the grass, and now we're, you know, <laughs> on fighting yeah, in, in Boston. Yeah, yeah, very bizarre. Like Connor and I, like um, 
we never really had many of those little moments where we could, where we got to sit down the two of us because there was a lot of other people around. There was a lot of shit going on and whatnot. But there was one time where we were basically in a nightclub and uh, we were at a table and uh, Connor's like, all right, I need to go take a piss. And I'm like, uh, all right, grand. I was, like, I was like, I need to go as well. So the security guard had to walk us to the, to the bathroom because obviously, you know, at that time, you know, people knew who he was and, whatever we're going to the toilet so we're in the bathroom we're taking a piss and we're taking a piss and Connor just uh we're both kind of half half in the bag and uh we're washing our hands and Connor just looks at me and he goes can you fucking believe this stuff and I was like what and he goes you got me into this now fucking we're sitting here with a world title like we're you know this is just fucking mad and I was like I was like yeah it is pretty fucking mad but that was the only one moment that we had to kind of really uh you know, reminisce on stuff because everything else was kind of mad. But it just so happened that in a bathroom, in a club, actually it was in, um, I'll tell you what club it was in now. It was in, um, it was in uh, the Cosmopolitan, uh, was it, is it XS? Is that their club? Um, is it XS? It might be. I forget the name of the club they have there, but yeah, we were in that bathroom and he just goes, we we're both half hammered. <laughs> <laughs> happy days happy you know days. you have those you have those moments when you're in the tank you're like hey man we fucking did that you know it's funny <laughs> and do you still be in contact with him or just every now and then is it uh no I, i'm not really into i don't I kind of fell out of contact with connor um you know i was in touch with him a little bit i, I you know i was talking to him through the khabib fight i'm sorry through the mayweather fight you know um and then and then through the khabib fight and then, um, and then, uh, and then, yeah, after the Khabib fight, we were messaging after. And, uh, yeah, I kind of said to him, I was like, look, I was like, because, uh, like, he went pretty hard on the smack talk that time, you know? He went pretty hard. And, uh, and you know, when, when you go at somebody that hard and then you fucking tap and, you you know, it's like, oh, it's like, and then the shit that happened afterwards and, so I just figured I knew I knew things were I knew I like I knew obviously things were tough on I me. Mean, it was the, the internet was brutal after that as well. So I said to him after I said, look, the offer's still there if you wanted to come to Boston to train. Um I said, we'll just fucking hang out. And he was like, Yeah, 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 yeah. And then he showed up to Boston a week later, never texted me. Jeez. So I was like, All right. I was like, okay. Um, so yeah, and then so I just like, you know what, I'm not gonna extend the olive branches anymore like that. Cause I used to always like, you know, oh, you know, you know, just as a friend. Because that's one thing, that's one thing, like, you know, if Connor's if he's all business, it, it's it's sometimes it's not worth it to be all business because you forget about people, you forget about people and, and you know, people who'll be there if you need them or friends or family or whatever. So yeah, I kind of just I just said, Yeah, I'm not gonna extend those olive branches anymore. And then the next time we saw each other was we're not talking at the time, but twenty nine that was twenty eighteen after the after the uh, Khabib fight, and then March twenty nineteen, I'm fucking I, I got invited to be in the St. Patrick's Day parade, and it was unbelievable, man. This thing was amazing, for sure. They all thought like everybody in the area, they're kind of like, oh yeah, Tom and Peter Welch's and Connor are like, let's put them right next to each other. <laughs> I could see him in his SUV and he's looking at me and I'm like I'm like. You little fucking cunt, and then <laughs> you still couldn't. He still couldn't hit me up that time when he was in Boston. Oh wanker! But anyways, Connor's like an annoying little brother to me sometimes when I think of him. But anyways, uh, yeah, they, I pull up right in front of him, and then he has to stare at the back of my head in the parade. 
And uh, but then but then then they did this weird thing. They pulled over and they waved on a bunch of other floats to make some space between us. And I'm like, that's a bit of a fucking weird move. Like, just fucking come say what's up. Like, you know. Mm-hmm. But anyways, yeah. So I stopped extending those other branches. So no, I don't talk to them. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. And uh, just you, you always hear this thing. Wait, that's an exclusive because I've never said that before. And, and I've always been reluctant in saying things like that because, you know, I just sometimes put the smile. Like, yeah, yeah. Every now and again. But that's, that's the honest truth. So I've never said that on a podcast before. But. So there you go. You got the first one. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, what did you just going to be a stupid question? All right, but do you feel more Irish when you went to Boston than you did when you were in Ireland? Well, I guess I guess the answer to that would be that when you're in Ireland, you're just Irish because you're in fucking Ireland. Like you're just going about doing Irish shit. You're Ireland. You know what true. I mean? Yeah, true. You're in Ireland. It's when you go to the likes of America, you 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 start to see how unique you are you like you're, you're just you're living your own you're living how you would in ireland but in america and then you all now all of a sudden you realize because you'll see people like point out how unique you are like i had, the amount of time i have my friends making like my accent my irish accent is not super strong it's a little bit on the dublin side obviously and 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 i've been living here 10 years now so every now and again i'll say something that's a little little bostonian or whatever but when I came here, excuse me, like I'd have people pointing out my accent, the way I dress, um, fucking my, just, you know, my, my general swag that they enjoyed. And, uh, like I, I've got a lot of my friends are like, uh, black Dominican, Puerto Rican, Cuban, and they fucking, they love the Irish, the Irish swag. They're like, they're like, man, I love that shit. So then you start to say to yourself, all right, I guess just me, but I guess I'm going to be more me then. I'm just going to fucking be more, be more. And I, now, mind you, growing up on Ireland, though, you can ask my parents, I've always been a bit of a mad cunt in the sense that, like, I'll wear whatever I want to wear or I'll dress how, you know what I mean? Like, like I remember when I was young, growing up, I was the only, like, I, I, I was one of the first uh, kids in my area to be wearing, uh, like, high top uh, sneakers and, and, like, basketball jerseys and stuff like that. And, um, you know, like I would just dress how I wanted to dress or do whatever I wanted to do. So you combine that with coming to America and then, you know, having your culture being pointed out as something that's like unbelievable. Like, you know, having lads from all hailing from all different background backgrounds, complimenting that. And then obviously Connor gets on the scene and then that whole Irish thing blew up even more, you know. So, um, yeah, it's 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 uh, it's pretty it's pretty interesting. you know. But no, I, I do you feel more Irish when you're in Boston? Like I said, I guess you just. Your, your culture just gets more emphasized because it's unique. It's a unique thing. You probably answered the question, oh, but what do you think, gravi- um, why do you think Americans gravitate towards that Irishness? You know what I'm trying to say? Um, well, I guess you could say that, like, I mean, let's face it, the Irish have a, have a, have a nice swag about them, you know? We have a real classic thing about us. Uh, you know, we can have a very kind... Uh, generous side to us, but then we can also kind of have this this competitive and hard edge side to us as well. So, I think I think I think the overall underdog story is kind of what gravitates people to Irish uh, culture and stuff like that. You know, so um, that that's that's what they do. So um, yeah, th- I think that's that's what that's what that's what gravitates people to 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 or gravitates American city Irish over here. Plus, there's a 
There's also 35 million of us here as well, which helps. Jeez. Um, yeah, Ireland, Ireland, the last census that was done, Ireland, the people who identified as Irish American were the second largest ethnic group in the United States behind people who consider themselves German American. Whoa, jeez. Yeah, so there's, 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 there's close to 40 million people in America who would, who would have taken the time to be like an Irish American on their census card. Whoa. Which blows my mind because, you know, this, this crack with, you know, you know, I look at like last year, for example, Leo Verkar and, and like him choosing to go with China over America when it came to like the, 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 the masks and the equipment for the nurses and the doctors and everything like that. He chose to buy a shittier product from China as like, you know, this like anti-Trump, anti-American, like, oh, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not cool to do business with America, even though, you know, we produced three vaccines faster than anybody. We were producing more equipment, more ventilators, more everything than anybody else. Uh, but just because it wasn't cool, you go with the, with the shittier equipment. And it's funny, I wonder how Leo Varadkar feels now about having done those deals with China, those trade deals with China under, under protection. And they are slaughtering Muslims in the concentration camps over there. And their courts, their high courts just ruled that homosexuality is a mental disorder. Jeez. So, so according to China, Leo Varadkar has got a mental disorder. And yet that man would rather pay more or, or like give our tax money, Irish tax money to the Chinese who are murdering people, torturing them, and then calling homosexuals, people, you know, diagnosing with mental dis disorders. Like that's messed up. So, you know, and not only that, like you have, like I said, you got close to 40 million people who identify as Irish American, second largest ethnic group in the United States. That's pretty major. And uh, America is Ireland's number one trade partner by billions. Mm -hmm. I mean, the next closest country that trades with with ireland is belgium but sure that's only because belgium is like the eu is the center of the eu and everything like that um so like europe not even england does close to like we do we do 40 billion euros a year in trade with the united states and the next the, the next closest country is 18 billion and that's that's listed as Belgium, but you know that that's usually just through the European Union. So if you've got the most people, you've got you've got um, America's our biggest ally in terms of the amount of people that we have here who consider to be Irish descent. We have the America's our biggest trade partner by billions, billions, right? Our, our products do the best here than any other country, uh, and then also too, you alluded to earlier on, U.S. tourism. They, rec they, they It suggested that you, uh, the uh, tourist from the United States is four times more lucrative than any other tourist that we have here that we have that go to Ireland. And they spend, they, they spend, I, I, I read up on it uh, not too long ago. I, I think that um, U.S. tourism in Ireland accounts for like, like nearly 10% of our annual GDP growth, say 2.5 billion a year or something like that. Jesus. That's pretty, that's pretty major. And then there you go, you have Leo Varadkar doing all his deals and business with China and, you know, paying, paying more money into the WHO, which is clearly being run by China. You know, like, like what the hell is going on with that? So I look at all that stuff and I'm just like, that is, that is, that is ridiculous. But anyways, you, that, that all stemmed from you asking me, what do I think, um, what do I think makes, makes Americans gravitate to Irish? And I think there's a lot of us here, our underdog, our, our underdog story. You know, there's been a very tight knit relationship there. I put a thing on my Instagram not too long ago about, 
uh, uh, the guy who designed the White House was designed by an Irishman. Um, yeah. James uh, James Horbin, I believe his name was. He's from uh, Kilkenny. And he was sitting down with George Washington designing the White House. Like, it's amazing. That's amazing. Like, it's, it's amazing to hear the stories of, you know, the Irish going over there in, you know, years ago. Because I have, would have had relatives who would have went over on the boat. And before they passed away, I remember sitting down, them telling me how they left, got trains at the age of 16, landed over, knew nobody, was a, had a relative over there, um, only communicated through letters. You know, it's amazing to think they did that back then, you know, to, to set up base over there. Yeah, they, they really went for it. And like I said, it's like America... I mean, America is such a home for the Irish, but for some, for whatever reason, over the years, you just see this, you see like almost like a slow kind of, I don't know, people like to come to America, but they don't see it as their own. Like, you know, Irish people should look, should view America as like their, you know, their own. And, and I think the more that happens over the years, the, the better we'd be off anyways. Cause like I said, business wise, America is, is, is absolutely uh, pivotal. I mean, America's role in the Good Friday Agreement is pivotal. In the masses, um, and you know you have that. You know you have like the, what what happened with the famine. They 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 allowed it so that all the Irish could come here and land here. Um, you know we weren't exactly welcome right away, which natural. That's just a natural thing, product of nature. You know, you've got all these people coming off from another country. Um, so you know, uh, like I said, it it would be nice if more people. That's one thing that I love to do with my social media. I try and tie in the both, the Irish and the American thing, because it's so important, you know? Mm-hmm. No, definitely, definitely. And one thing I got asked as well, and you can see it in your social media, um, you're big into the Irish language. Are you a or is that something you just kind of studied since you went there? Yeah, yeah, no, I am. Yeah, wait, it's a well dog as well. Uh, not really, no. I, I'm only okay. just, I was like, the great the area, like, my Irish is, isn't great, no, to be honest. All right. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm lucky. I... My parents, um, and again, I, I don't remember this now as a kid, but my, my mother always tells me the story that she uh, put me to an Irish speaking um, kind of like play school or kindergarten, as they would call it here, oh, yeah. and uh, in Lucan. And I really enjoyed it. And I guess she gave me, I guess she gave me the option afterwards. She said, I, I don't remember this, but she, she said that she gave me the option if I wanted to. Um, stay going to like the Irish speaking uh, primary school or if um, if I wanted to go to like an English speaking school and apparently I was like no 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 I want to stay speaking Irish so then I went to um, yeah they sent me to Gael School Mayforic uh, which is in Lucan and uh, brilliant school brilliant school and then of course I was in Colossian Kushlifu which is which is in Lucan as well so um, so yeah so I went I, I started speaking Irish and I was like two or three all the way up till you know 18 and then when I get out of school, naturally, you know, the problem is, and I, I, this is another reason why I like to do a lot of Irish and stuff like that on my social media, because the language needs something cool to, to stick to, because far too often you have kids that leave school and then Irish language just kind of reminds them of that kind of being in school and the teachers and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I feel like if the, the language needs to have something cool to kind of, you know, tether itself to. And then I, I believe that in time, like I would love, like I love how these movies now are coming out with the with the Gael, with, with with the with the Irish uh, Gaelic speaking and like like that movie Black Forty Seven. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, brilliant. Great, great, great movie. 
And then you have that that other movie, Arach, just got uh, uh, nominated for an Oscar. I don't know if you heard about this. It's it's about the famine. Oh, I didn't. Um, yeah, sorry, I didn't see it though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen it now. I haven't seen the movie, but but uh, they got nominated for a um, for an Oscar. So that should be really cool. Um, I'm excited to watch that. But it's it's great if we can get more movies or or get people. That's why I was always trying to get Conor McGregor to speak Irish. For sure, it just never, for whatever reason, never really interested him. Um, you know, he was too busy doing his fucking walk. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but if if the language can, can can be tethered to something cool, which is what I'm, which is what you know, at least I'm trying to do my little part in in, in getting it to be tethered to something cool. Um, and whether that be some lunatic living over in Boston who's an MMA fighter and loves it, loves America. Uh, can you hear me? Okay, yeah, 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 perfect. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and whether that be some lunatic over in America, you know, who loves Ireland, Boston, grew up, fought in the UFC, did all this stuff with mutton chops. If that's what does it, fair enough. Yeah, no, I definitely Cowboy agree. Boots. I forgot cowboy boots. <laughs> cowboy boots well. No, I, I definitely agree with you, Tom, like, because, you know, I suppose our generation, you know, it's been drilled into you. You need to know your... X, Y, and Z before the end of the week, you know, you're a couple of Irish words and all that. And it's, it probably brings back bad memories for a lot of Irish people, but we definitely need something sexy or to have it attached to. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it could be something attached to it. Like, you know, especially I think there's, there's, I'm starting to see a little bit more and more. Just, I can't put my finger on it, but it's just something that I'm noticing. A lot of young women from Ireland uh, and even Scotland and, 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 getting involved in the Irish language and like, like young, attractive women. And that's cute. That's huge as well. You know, like if you can get young women, young, young, modern women, like speaking it, you know, in a, in a, in a contemporary way. Uh, likewise, if you got guys like me or other athletes or whoever, uh, I saw Carl Pendred and Chris Fields put up a thing on their social media recently of, of young lads who are in uh, team KF um, or is it, is that, it's KF. Yeah. Chris, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fields King. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Team KF, it, it, young lads out of their gym now are had a whole thing done of them about, you know, they were speaking, Nusquelga, talking about what they're doing. And that was really cool. So more stuff like that will help, I think, a lot. Brilliant. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. No, definitely. It's uh, something, especially when you see the Americans when they come over here. Um, obviously, we spoke off air. I would have been exposed to a lot of them before. Um, you know, they love that couple of fucker, like, love it. Do you know what? If you could integrate it some way into them, just even if they could get by you when they're here, it'd be great. Just something as well that I came across in your social media, um, I've always been following you for a couple of years. Um, was you your good friends with, with Donald Trump Jr.? How did how did that come to come to play? Well, I wouldn't say that I'm like good friends with him, but I definitely, I definitely befriended him <laughs> for sure. And, um, you know, we, um, you know, he and I are big gun advocates and, and like he's into MMA and stuff like that as well. Yeah, I don't know. Just I, well, I can tell you how it happened. One day I was I was watching uh, uh, 60 Minutes, which is like a, a show here, um, which is they, they break down like, you know, news or things that are going on at the time. And they were talking about uh, these things called red flag laws, uh, about how they should be implemented here in the United States. And what a red flag law is, a red flag law basically would, would, could be anything. The, that's the problem is too, too vague and broad um, uh, uh, a law, so to speak, where basically it could say, uh, all right, uh, Finn, 
I I I think you're uh, you're showing some signs of mental unstabil instability there. I'm gonna take all your guns and I'm gonna put you on a notice. You know that's very uh, it's very tyrannical. It's very it's it's very it's it's a regress of uh, due process. I mean, America has the most advanced form of due process in the history of mankind, where you're innocent until proven guilty. That's going forward with with uh, with with with, uh, with progress and due process in, in a court of law. Whereas a red flag law would do the opposite. It would be like, well, you know what? I think that you're going to kill somebody. It's kind of like how, like, I can't own a tank because the government thinks that I'll run over cars and shoot people with it, even though there's no evidence of that ever happening. Or all the guns that I have now, I've got pretty, pretty savage guns. They're not killing anybody. I'm not killing anybody. But they're literally assuming that I'm a criminal. They're, they're saying that I did something before it happened. Now, I understand there's certain laws in place where you, you know, you put certain laws in place, but you, you, you have a due process. The idea behind that is, is that they have to prove in court that there's a reason why you should be denied this liberty. And that's in the United States Constitution. It's not just in it. It's enshrined in it. In the United States Constitution, the Fifth Amendment, that an individual cannot be denied liberty without due process. So uh, they were talking about that, those red flag laws. And they were trying to pressure Trump into looking into them and of course i i had a whiskey in, or two in me and i i went off on his uh on trump jr's uh comment section like tell your dad he'll be an absolute tyrant if he goes ahead with this stuff da, 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 da. And I, <laughs> I, I like capital letters and shit like that and and then uh and i woke up the next morning to it donald trump jr follows you and then uh, i was like because he's a big gun guy as well and he's a big hunter and he's a big gamesman and all that kind of stuff and then yeah so we ended up just you know, bouncing back and forth. We talked we, we, uh, in the beginning. We talked a lot about, about gun laws and stuff like that. And then, uh, and then my, my MMA, and uh, and then he shared some of my posts on his thing. And and then the elections came up, and then he was obviously swamped with that. And then there's uh, the odd thing here and there, like we were talking about the Masvidal uh, Usman fight, the last one. Um, but it was really weird, though. One of the back and forths we were talking about. You know, he was asking me about MMA, and like you know. And, and fighting and you know business you know because they're very successful family I mean, even his kids are went off and did all their like his daughter Ivanka she's a she's a multi-millionaire on her own you know I mean I get she has got a good start but to turn to to to, to start your own enterprise that's pretty impressive you know and and make it work like you see a lot of people rich people who have kids who are just not all that successful because it's hard to get out of the limelight or they don't know how to do what their parents did but they just breed just successful people so we're talking about it and one one thing we were talking about he's like we're referring his dad he has yeah yeah my dad always says this and you know when you're going to do business you know my dad believes in this this and this and in my mind i'm like yeah your dad's the president <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah but i mean yeah i wouldn't say good friends but i would definitely say acquaintances and and i had one newspaper uh was it the star the mail, yeah, that's where I came across it. The mail. Yeah. So what's funny is they put that headline, Tom friends with Don Jr. So I sent it to Don Jr. I said, "Hey, I was like, apparently we're we're close friends now." And he he wrote back. He goes, "Ah, he goes, I fucking love that. That's great." So yeah, he's cool. He's <laughs> a really you, cool guy. Have you got to meet him face to face yet? No, I haven't met him face to face yet. No, because well, because we became we, we became friends online, like right around i want to say it was like february january february last year mm. um so yeah we haven't really gotten you know obviously covid hit and lockdowns and whatnot so yeah 
One uh, one question actually came in there uh, while we're on the, the topic of Guegla. What's your favorite phrase or words of Guegla? My, my favorite words or sayings of Guegla is anything that, that stops me from saying an English word. Like instead of saying, you know, I would say, or instead of saying like, I'll say, mar, uh, you know, uh, anything that stops me from using an English word. You know what I mean? Like, so um, if I'm stuck for something, I like, getting words filling in those gaps with irish words versus you know the you, as you would naturally i mean you speak english every day it's like ah you know like maybe asher just and i'll fill in all those words with irish words and i've trained myself now so when i'm speaking irish i don't ever say an english word which i like that uh, have you a certain phrase that that you'd, you'd you'd like you like a phrase yeah uh do i have a phrase oh, geez that's kind of hard to say i don't know if i have a single good phrase uh I do like the saying "is far not and that means it's better to have broken Irish. It's better to speak broken Irish than to speak clean English. Down the line, would you ever see yourself going into politics or, or joining the army? Yeah, so like I was talking to you earlier on about, like if I could do it again, I would have joined the Marines when I was younger and 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 come out and obviously have a whole you know uh, list of things that I wanted to do. But obviously, I was working on the MMA and. You know, that was my passion. But if in hindsight, I could have put that time in and still been in my mid-20s. And But, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. But, um, you know, yeah, I mean, I'm 33 now. Like, so I'm limited to the Army or the Air Force. And I, I've always thought about maybe doing like reserves or something like that, which would be nice to kind of give back as a citizen now, uh, you know, give back to a country that I love. But um, yeah, I mean, I've always thought about that, and then and then politics is something that I would love to get into as well in the future. So I definitely, you know, like the idea. I, I'm looking at you know maybe going to going to part taking part time courses on in law and stuff like that. So I'm looking to maybe get in on the law side of things. So I enjoy I enjoy constitutional law and stuff. So and then that maybe give me a foot in the door to eventually get into politics. Whether I get into it young or later on, I don't know, but. I'm definitely trying to do a little bit of homework here and there. And then I'm, I'm also think too, I really want to open up my own gym. Uh, I think it's time now. I mean, with things starting to open back up again slowly over here, I think 2022 could be a year where I maybe open up my own gym and uh, finally run things the way I want to and produce fighters and, you know, do whatever. And obviously try and give back to everybody that's helped me, you know. So we'll see what the future holds. But along those lines... So yeah, I was going to ask that. Um, you you're working obviously under under a gym at the moment, but yeah, the future you'd love to have your own arm and hopefully you know have students going to going into the UFC or whatever the case may be. Um, yeah. So the the army, the politics, but just on the combat sport element of it, for people who who doesn't do MMA and all that, but have heard of say Connor and and the higher profile and yourself, you know who would have been in the UFC since, you know, since the early days when he came to Ireland, what yep. skills do you think um, mixed martial arts give people? Because, just, yeah, because um, just because when I was, when I was um, in Dublin, I did, went to the SPG for a couple of months and I was blown away by the respect that students show each other because I would have right. came from a GA background and that just really kind of blew my mind, to be honest. Yeah, respect. Uh, I mean, one example is you, you mentioned it earlier on there, the fact that I was having pints with a guy who we literally punched each other in the face as hard as we could, <laughs> you know, at a high level, my, my good friend Chip. Um, 
you know, so yeah, to be able to do that and, and, and be, and, and it teaches you to be humble because you know what it's like, you know, the amount of beatings you have to go through physically. Cause like you could lose a soccer game or you could lose a basketball game or you could lose, you could lose games. Um, but nothing's quite humbling than getting your ass kicked in a, in a, in a, in a, in a safe environment, if that makes any sense. And then it kind of, you know, you, it allows you to say, Oh, okay, this is not so bad. I can, and it teaches you a bit of grit. And yeah, so yeah, you, you, you come to respect other people who, who you, cause it, it may, you know what that feels like now. So it, 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 it allows you then to respect other people who are either beginners or advanced guys who've gone through it and they got there or, you know, guys on your own level, you beat him one day, he beats you another day. Yeah, there's a, there's a, there is a ton of respect respect there. And just before we, we finished up, what's the general feel in America now, uh, po- uh, politically-wise? Um, politically, what's the story in America at the moment? I know Trump was there for uh, four years. What's your, your feeling around that? Yeah, well, obviously, I'm a big Trump guy. And, uh, you know, it's disappointed he didn't get the win. But, you know, um, look, right now in America, at least, you know, for the past few years and, and especially it ramped up, you know, late last year with the election, there was there's definitely like, uh, you know, uh, uh, there's definitely a conglomerate of, of government and media at work right now. And that's when things become an issue. You know, the talk of social media banning people and taking Trump off Twitter and people are like, oh, it's a private company. You can do what it, do what it wants or or that's not that's not um, that's not unconstitutional because they're a private company. Well, it's like, well, when there's politicians advocating and 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 cooperating with with social media tech companies to do these things yes it is it does then become a constitutional issue a government issue you know and that's what we've been seeing um so that's kind of scary and and you know obviously i wasn't very happy with that i mean there's a there's a there's a ton of stuff there last year where like you know they would fact check people on one side because these left wing these these media tech companies are all all one side politically so they're like they're like telling the other side that they're wrong silencing not letting that info get out and then you know regular people who just watch the news and think they're getting the truth they're like oh well i'm not voting for trump i'm gonna vote for biden and it's not getting out there but i mean it's still it's pretty powerful that with 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 the amount of hate that trump was getting for literally doing things that would benefit his own constituents um you know, still 75 million people voted from the most votes of any incumbent president in the history of, of the country. So, um, but where is it going now? Well, I mean, I just think, you know, results and evidence just is all you need to know. I mean, gas prices are shooting up, uh, you know, uh, you know, this crisis at the border. People are, are trying to storm through the border wearing Biden-Harris T-shirts. Let us in. They're saying, let us in. You promised you'd let us in. Um you know, you have, uh, you know, you already have like, I mean, Biden's not really going around taking questions. It just the whole thing just seems very funky. They're pushing through all these legislations and climate change is the next one. They're going to use the they're going to use what the lockdowns that they use for COVID for climate change. Now that they know that they can do it. And, um, you know, they're already trying to put all this this green stuff through. And, and it's just not based on facts or evidence. A lot of it's just like feel good you know it sounds great let me put this through without really thinking about it. like the pipe the keystone pipeline is one thing biden gets in the office and with the stroke of a pen eliminates eleven thousand jobs like that like that keystone pipeline and all these green environmentalists are like oh yeah that's great he got rid of a pipeline it's like a pipeline goes underground 
and it gets covered and you don't even know it's there. And it's just like it's a way for oil and, 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 and other resources to go back and forth between two areas. Now, without that, you're going to have more planes, more automobiles, more trucks, more cargo ships, more more everything with, with much, much larger carbon footprints. It's like all these people are celebrating. Like You don't even know what you're celebrating. It just sounds great because, oh, Trump is evil, orange man bad type thing, you know? So, but that was one big thing they're getting in the first week is boom, 11,000 jobs. So there's people now, and they're like, they were trying to be like, oh, we just learned how to build a, build a solar panel. Oh, that sounds great. So I just have to give up my, my, all my trade that I learned my whole life to do these certain things. And now you just, oh yeah, go build a solar panel. That doesn't even work. We saw them in Texas. They all they had layers of snow on their solar panels. Like thirty three percent of their power grid was relied on re- renewables, and and it, and it caused a big power shortage. And it's just like, look, that that's that's a debatable thing. But all I'm saying is this: the politics in in America is is we're just going to see the results again. When they when when Trump took office, they said we'll go into World War Three. The, the stock market will crash, poverty will rise, unemployment will rise, and all the opposite happened. Ended a 40-year um, a trend of presidents entering new wars, reduced troops in foreign conflicts, made peace deals out the ass with, with, with um, Israel and Saudi Arabia and Iran and all these countries, like historic peace deals. Then in America, you know, anti-government regulation, so like remove all the, all the red tape, as they call it, the government puts up all these, but like, when, it, when the government establishes these new these new uh, regulatory bodies, now all of a sudden a builder who wants to get a permit to build a house, to make money, to give more people jobs, more food on the table, you know, actual trickle effect uh, things. You got to go through a body in, in, in a, a government body. It might be like, no, nah, no, nah, we're not doing that. So that's like less money on the table. So Trump went in and was like, let's take away all of that because he's a builder. Mm-hmm. Let's take away all of that. And then what you saw after that was just a massive trickle effect, which drove the unemployment to like a 60 year low. So evidence, evidence is the best way to see it. So, um, you know, I might share things on Instagram that shits on Biden because that's the, that's the other team. And, you know, that's fair. You can always, I argue with my friends. That's the other team. You know, you know, it's like I'm a Spurs supporter when it comes to soccer. So I fucking hate Man United. So no matter how good they are, I'm still going to shit on them. So it's like, I might put stuff up on my, on my Instagram where I'll shit on the Democrats or Biden, but really it's evidence. What, what's the evidence of, of these policies that either he's going to put through or they're going to put, who knows? We'll just see. All I know is that they're definitely not in favor of due process because they cherry pick things. They're big on the anti-gun stuff and they're big on all that kind of stuff. But then at the same time, you know, BLM, go burn down that city. Yay. You know, we'll bail you out. No problem. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. fucked up. So, um, you know, we'll just see how things go. I just hope to God that this country doesn't have to go to another version of what they went to last summer because I have a feeling it's coming. This Derek Chauvin case is coming up now, the guy who had the knee on the neck. And what's scary is, is that the police manual at the time said that the knee on the neck was a, was perfectly fine. The autopsy came out of George Floyd's body. No, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not making this up. The, the, the autopsy said that no blunt force trauma caused his death or, or a shortage of breath to his airways. So now they're saying that, you know, you couple a court case, in court, the knee on the neck was in the police manual at the time, and the autopsy says that he didn't die from that, and that it says that he apparently died from a large amount of fentanyl and a bunch of other stuff, and apparently he had COVID as well. So if they let this guy walk or he doesn't get whatever punishment because it, it's weighing out like it might go that way, even though I thought it was wrong, 
I think it's wrong to put your knee in somebody's neck for that long when they're not moving. You know, like, like I get police officers have a very tough job. And especially over here in America where people could be shooting at you, you know, slinging knives and weapons at you. It's mad out there, man. And I think that was wrong what was done. Like when somebody stops moving, the whole point of, of apprehending somebody so they stop moving. When they stop moving, you're supposed to say, okay, let, let them go. So it just look, so even if they could prove in a court of law that that wasn't how he died, I still think that was wrong. But I just hope that this country doesn't have to go through what it went through last summer because that was, that was tough, man. We had to be, I had to board up my gym and shit like that. It was fucked up. Jeez. Whoa. Jesus. It's uh, But the point is, is these, these cocksuckers, these politicians will be like, yeah, yeah, yeah go burn that down. We'll bail you out. Uh, you over there, you the nice, hardworking, normal guy. No, you can't have a gun because I think you're going to kill, kill somebody. But you people with the illegal firearms, oh, I didn't see nothing. I didn't see nothing. Yeah, no, 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 no. You know what I mean? It's fucked yeah. up. So that's what, that's what, that's the thing about America. America's supposed to be, and I live in Quincy here, and this is famous for, uh, it's called the City of Presidents. It was named Quincy after uh, John Quincy, who was colonel of the Suffolk militia up until the 1740s. His daughter was Abigail and uh, Abigail Quincy. She married John Adams. John Adams, the second president of the United States and one of the one of the co-authors of the of the of the Declaration of Independence. Well, well, he he him and Benjamin Franklin helped Thomas Jefferson, who, who physically wrote it. Um, you know, second president of the United States. He was George Washington's vice president. One of the real intellects behind the American Constitution, you know, he's famous for saying, like, you know, America will be a country of laws, not men, meaning like we won't have like a king or a queen or a superior. We're going to be a, a nation of laws like no one gets above the law and America's supposed to be like that. But now you see things going down around and, and you know, uh, you see people get favored ahead of the law. You know, I, they wanted to say the rule of law, the rule of law, the rule of law, you know, when they were trying to impeach Trump. But then all of a sudden you got these shitbags burning down places for eight months. Mm -hmm. uh, no rule of law there, you know, or no even rule of law for themselves. I don't know if you saw recently it came out that they they falsified evidence in Trump's uh, Senate impeachment trial. The second one, they, they falsified evidence. They, they doctored tweets and used that, tried to use that as evidence in court to Jeez. say that Trump the Trump said this or these people said this on this date and it wasn't the case. And then yesterday, the day before, the Washington Post had to admit that they made up they made up a story about Trump's phone call with another with, with somebody down in Atlanta or something like that. And that was one of the big thing. That was a big piece of what they were trying to like get up, get them. With. So it's like, I don't know. We'll see what happens either way. Like I said, evidence is a key thing. We'll see what the results of what gets put in. And, you know, Trump said it himself. He says, you know. We wish the new administration a lot of luck because they're going to need it. You need luck. You need luck and you need, you know, you definitely need help. So I think everybody wants the country to do well. It's not like, you know, uh, I hope everything goes to shit. You know, I just hope that we don't have a, a you know, a do-over of what happened, uh, obviously, last summer. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, regarding, like, the state of things going on, um. Well, they won't let Joe Biden give a State of the Union address because he'll screw it up. So I don't know what's going on there. But uh, yeah, I mean, everyone's just kind of happy that things are reopening again. And I think, you know, credit to the likes of Texas and Mississippi and, and Florida who've been they've been leading the way. I mean, Jesus, I mean, they're making they're making the, 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 the state, the states up north look absolutely ridiculous. And then you got your man there, Andrew Cuomo, 
who they were praising him in Ireland and all over the place. And, and you know, he, it, what, what's amazing about that Andrew Cuomo thing is this, is that he signed an executive order to, to take COVID-positive patients, elderly patients, back into nursing homes. And it spread like wildfire in old elderly nursing homes, the most vulnerable people. And they, there's an estimate of 15,000 people that died as a result of that decision. And Trump at the time had built the Javits Center. He sent the Army Corps of Engineers to build the field hospitals in the Javits Center. He sent out that big, massive ship, um, the big, huge uh, Navy uh, hospital ship out to New York. And they refused to use it. At the same time, Cuomo, the governor, was trying to take all this credit for all this great work that he was doing. And then he was saying that he was giving out that the, the federal government wasn't giving them any ventilators. And then it turns out they were in storage. And then when they tried to ask him about it, he was like, oh, well, we were saving that for the apex, for like the big shoot up. And they were like, well, why don't you just use those ventilators then if you said you were short on them? And he's like, oh, well, you know, like he tried to dance around it as usual. Sent So he didn't use the hospital, the field hospital that, that uh, Trump sent the army in to build didn't use the big ship, sent all these patients, these elderly people into nursing homes, which fucking killed thousands. And, um, and for some weird reason, well, so it just came out a couple of weeks ago that his top aide admitted that they tried to cover that. They covered up that and they doctored evidence or they, sorry, they, 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 they basically wanted to cover it up uh, and not show the proof and the full uh, numbers uh, because they didn't want Trump to blow it up and make it a big deal. So ba they basically killed thousands of people and lied about it and covered up. He got a fucking Grammy uh, that he nominated himself for and he got all this praise and everything like that. But for some reason, the one, the straw that broke the camel's back wasn't the fact that 15,000 people died because of his it, this guy's decisions. Not that. Uh, the fact that he probably groped a couple of women. Jesus. Well, they're getting them now. They're, they're all getting this guy Cuomo now on... Um, they're getting him on uh, on sexual assault stuff, and he's being stubborn. But but they don't care about the fifteen thousand seniors that were killed, because he decided to not use Trump's field hospitals that were built because it was the federal government's idea. All of, all while he was complaining about ventilators, even though the ventilators were there, it's a nightmare. It's kind of like what happened in Puerto Rico the year before, where uh, Trump was. You know, Trump's obviously administration sent out all these this this aid out to out to Puerto Rico, and the politicians there hid it in a warehouse so that he would look bad and make it seem like that he never sent them anything out. And it was found out then, like months later, they oh, it was a it was a shit show down there. And then of course, media silent, they didn't talk about it. So it, we're we're in a bit of a, a mess here with the with the media and stuff like that. But you know, we'll see what happens. I'm just glad that. Like I said, Texas and Florida, they're just killing it right now. They're opening back up. They're like, yeah, look, our numbers are down. Vaccines are rolling out. We're over this. Let's just go. And then, of course, then you have Dana White saying, yeah, we're going to do full crowd. And you know, these, 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 these little shit bags that they could easily stay at home themselves with three masks on and not bother anybody. They want to stop you and I from going to a UFC event because we'll kill their grandma somehow. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but Cuomo, that guy Andrew Cuomo literally killed people's grandmas and they don't want it, no one talks about it and they were calling him and they were saying oh he should be the next president and all this crap unbelievable sorry I went off there <laughs> no you're grand you're grand you're grand so just to, to, to finish it up um, hopefully so we, we, we'll see you in politics over there at some stage down the line
That's to clean the focus. I won't be crazy. I'll obviously be more clean cut and I won't be swearing and everything like that. I'll be I'll do it right and clean. And if I do go, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Look, Tom, thanks a million for taking time out. I really appreciate the command inside view podcast and look best look with, with everything else going forward. Thanks a million. I really appreciate having me on. I hope you all enjoyed the interview with Tom. Um, that is all from us on this week's podcast. If you'd like to get in contact with the show, please please do follow us on social media um, or feel free to, to email us info at ontheballteambuilding.com. You'll find us on Instagram at underscore ontheballteambuilding. Over on Facebook, it's ontheballteambuilding. Over on Twitter, it's at weareontheball2. That's the digit two. Uh, we're also on LinkedIn, ontheballteambuilding, and we're also on TikTok, ontheballteambuilding. Have a lovely St. Patrick's Day. Have a lovely week. And be sure to tune in again next week. We have another exciting guest. Till then, stay safe. And remember, cred unut fein. Talk to you all soon. And thank you all for listening.